usually the uh, Sunday after Christmas, statistically, wherever you go in churches, <clears throat> the attendance is pretty light, usually. But this, this isn't bad, I mean, because in Blessed Hope, things are so bad here that not even the pastor shows up for church. <laughs> so, but no, they're, Matt and Vince are spending some time with family, so... Uh, um, I don't know that he got the word out that I was going to be up here. There would be a lot fewer people here this morning. You could be checking out Revolution or something. Um, but it's, it is a weird time of year um, for me. It seems like, cause thanks to Walmart, they get you thinking about Christmas around Halloween. And, you know, and then after Thanksgiving... Advent starts, and so from a secular point of view, and certainly from a Christian point of view, Christmas is a big deal, and there's this build-up that goes and goes and goes until Christmas gets here, and then no sooner are you past it, and New Year's is like right there. You've got like this six-day-ish limbo period where you're still going to work, you're still doing your thing, but, you know, it's just a weird time. And... uh I've always thought that that's always a good time because you know, you'll see it in the news and stuff where they kind of look back on 2018. And it's always, I think, a good time during this period to just sort of look back as to, you know, with, with your career or with your marriage or finances or whatever. It's always a good idea to just kind of look back, see where you've come, and maybe see, okay, what can change, what can I do better, whatever, for 2019. Um, in fact, we're even going to have a, a, well, that'll be next year, but we're going to be having a meeting here um, that I would encourage you to come to where we're going to do just that. We're going to kind of look back on what we as a church did in 2018 and then set some goals for next year. And I guess that's the purpose of my sermon um, this morning is challenge us all to take a few, take some time before the new year to just see where you stand uh, with God right now. Um, where do you stand in light of the gospel? And what I want to do is read some verses that are going to be very, very familiar to you. In fact, I think it was discussed even at the uh, Christmas Eve service where um, you know, we, they talked about the Christmas story. Uh, it's going to be in the beginning of Luke, and I'm going to talk about uh, the documented times that Luke records uh, angelic appearances to Zechariah, Mary, and the shepherds. And um, like I say, these are very familiar to you, especially you've probably heard them almost every year. Whenever you come to church, these are read quite often. But I don't want Christmas to be the focus. I want us to look at it from a little different point of view. Um, I'm going to read a lot, which... Should be a good thing for you guys, because the longer I spend in the Word, the less shorter my sermon is, and everybody can say amen to that. Um, but I'm going to read, start in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 5. Now, I'll warn you, I'm reading out of the NIV, so if you have a different translation, it might be a little odd. But In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children. 
because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So basically there's a worship service going on, the crowd's out here, and Zechariah is going to walk out and into a, through a curtained area and into a room. So nobody will be able to see him. He's going to be in this room called the... Uh, and he's going to burn incense and he's going to pray for the nation and the crowd out here will be praying also. So he's back in there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are going to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many people, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Uh, Skip over to verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Then we'll uh, switch over to chapter 2 and read a little bit here, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
you kind of have to feel sorry for the angel at this point. I mean, poor guy's got great news to give everybody, and the first thing he has to tell him is, chill, calm down. Um, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior will be born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and laid in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So like I say, what I was trying to do here was show the three documented cases here in the book of Luke where angels appear, again, to Zechariah, Mary, and the shepherds. And you're going to notice that there were a lot of similarities between all three of them, and there are also some definite differences. For one thing, in all three cases, the people are terrified when they see this angel. Uh, They're gripped with fear, and they're very, very scared. And all three of them, the angel has to address their fears before he can even get to the message. And then in all three cases, there's a response. In the case of Zachariah and Mary, they respond with a question that is almost identical to one another. And in the case of the shepherds, they make a response, but instead of asking a question, they make a statement. Now to me, one of the most interesting parts of all of this is Gabriel's response to Zechariah and his question and his response to Mary and the question she asks, because they're almost identical. But if you remember, he, he shows up to Zechariah and says, Greetings, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He's scared. Don't be scared. You know, I've got great news. Everything's fine. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. John the Baptist, by the way. But you're going to name him John. He's going to be a great boy, and people are going to rejoice because of him. And Zechariah says, Well, how can this be? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand here in the presence of God, and you don't believe me? From this day forward, you will not be able to speak until this is all taken care of because you didn't believe my words. And then later on, he appears to Mary. Greetings, highly favored one. Scared? Don't be scared. You know, you found favor with God, and you will have a child, and he will be great, and he will be given the throne of his father David, and his reign will have no end. And she says, well, how can this be? And Gabriel says, well, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the power of the Most High will come upon you, and she gets an answer. Now, is that fair? I mean, is that fair? Is it fair that the priest, when he asks a question, you know, how can this be possible, he's struck dumb, for that question, and then Mary gets almost the exact same question, and she gets an answer. What's going on? Why, why is there a difference here? Is it possible that after Gabriel had struck the priest dumb, goes back to heaven, and he's like, yeah, you're going to talk smack to me, I'll take care of that, you know, and he's pretty proud of himself, and God's like, Gabriel, come here a minute. Gabriel, 
we need to do one of those uh, 360 job review things that I've been hearing about a lot lately. You know what I'm talking about. You give me a little bit of feedback. I'm going to give you a little bit of feedback. We need to talk about your interpersonal skills. You know, and he's like, well, I'm sorry, I thought it was the right thing. You know, so then later he goes to Mary and she asks the question and he has to take, back, take a step back, take a deep breath, count to ten. Okay, you know, here, here's the deal. This is how this is all going to work out. Is that what's going on here? No. No, that's not what's going on here because even though Zachariah and Mary ask almost identical questions. They are coming from completely different places. One's asking the question based on pure skepticism, and the other one's asking a question based on doubt and confusion. And there's a huge difference between skepticism and doubt. Now, as Zachariah, we know that he and his wife have been praying for a child. That's how this story starts. He's blameless. He is doing everything God asks him to do. It doesn't say it specifically in Scripture, but I think it's fair to say that this is a man who loves God. He's serving God, he is blameless, and he is upright. But he and his wife, who have been married a long time, they've never been able to conceive a child. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've ever struggled or are struggling with the issue of infertility, you know exactly what's going on here. And the kind of prayers that you find yourself praying, they are heartfelt, they are deep, and they are long. And now it is Zachariah's turn to burn incense at the temple. Now, What I understand is, back in that time, I, from what I understand is that there would have been about 18,000 priests serving in Israel during this time. And obviously, they couldn't all do this. So, as it says in, in Scripture, they were broken up into divisions, and then, when their division it was their turn to serve in the temple, they would draw lots as to who would get what job. And the most coveted role, the most important thing in the service was to be able to go into the altar of incense and pray for the nation. He is literally at the high point of his calling, of his career, however you want to talk, however you want to put it. This is his, he's reached the high point here. And he's in there, and an angel appears to him and says to him, Zechariah, your prayer for a child has been heard. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. And Zachariah's response is, no, 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 that, that's not possible. See, I know biology, and I know a man of my age and my wife at the age she is. No, that's, that's not possible. Zachariah had been praying for a child but he didn't think one was possible. He was a priest in the temple of God. He was serving God, and you can kind of imagine the kind of prayers that he prayed and the tears that were shed over this issue, but he did not think one was possible. In other words, he was seeking God, and he was asking God 
for something that in his heart he'd already decided God was in no position to do anything about. And so when an angel appears and tells him that his prayers have been heard and going to be answered, his immediate response is not praise, it's not worship, it is, no, this can't be possible because the biology goes against it. I don't know, I think I've told this story before, so I apologize if you remember it or if you've heard it, um, but there's a story of this per, uh, pastor. We'll call him Matt and throw out the name, maybe just random last name of Hans. And some of you, you know, he has kids and everything, you know he probably he has a dog. What you may not know is at one point in time he used to have a cat. It was an indoor cat. You know, uh, just a basic, never been outside, just a basic indoor cat. But as cats are, they're curious. And one day he went outside to do whatever it was he was going to do, and the cat ran out the door. And suddenly, for the first time, it experiences the outdoors, and he freaks out and runs to the nearest tree and runs clear to the top of the tree. Now, it's a younger tree, but it's probably 20 feet up there. It's up there a ways. And now it's stuck up there, and it's crying. And he doesn't know what to do. So he, uh, he thinks, I know, I got a friend of mine, he's got an F-350 pickup truck, he said I could use it if I needed to. I'll get this truck, I'll get a rope, I'll tie it to the tree, try it to the bumper, and I'll pull, it's a young tree, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a problem, it'll bend down, I'll be able to take the cat. What could possibly go wrong with this situation? So he gets this truck, he gets the rope, he manages to lasso to the top of the tree, which is a miracle in and of itself, and he ties it to the bumper and he starts driving. He starts driving, driving, driving. The tree is bending, bending, bending. It's getting down just about to where he needs it when all of a sudden the rope breaks, the tree springs up, and the cat is launched <laughs> into the air. Two weeks go by, and there's a young couple with uh, some kids that have been coming to the church, they invite him over so he across town, so he decides he'll go visit them. And he, he goes over, and it's an apartment, upstairs apartment. They let him in, he walks in the door, and he sees his cat walk across the living room floor. Okay. So he sits down, he has a nice conversation, but his mind is going a million miles an hour this whole time. Until he finally gets to the point of... Uh, <coughs> Excuse me, um, that's, that's a nice cat there. Um, have you had it long? And the lady of the house says, oh, Pastor Matt, you're not going to believe this. Two weeks ago, we were up on the balcony of our apartment, enjoying the day, it was a nice sunny day, and my five-year-old comes to me and says, Mommy, can we get a cat? Now, he's been bugging us for a cat forever. And I'm like, no, we're not. And I tried, he's persistent, if nothing else. And I kept telling him, no, we're not going to have a cat. And he kept bugging me. And I, he's like, you don't understand. This is an apartment. Chad Kristoff is our manager. He's a terrible human being. He does not allow pets. It's not going to happen. And he wouldn't give it up. He just kept bugging me. And finally, I, just, I was out of ideas. So I said, all right, son, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray to Jesus. And if Jesus wants you to have a cat, you're going to get a cat. 
Pastor Matt, you will not believe what happened next. But for many people, the idea of answered prayer is just as fantastic and just as ridiculous and therefore just as equally meaningless as the story I just told you. Well, that's just coincidence. You seem to think that there's some sort of causation between your prayer and the natural order of events that took place to where you're at now. But surely, come on, let's be reasonable here. The reasonable response is, is okay, amazing set of coincidence, unlikely. It was a one in a million type situation. You happen to be that one in a million. The kind of skepticism that Zechariah has is the kind of skepticism that shuts out any possibility of an answer. He has already decided in his heart this is something that God's not going to do anything about. And the sad irony of this is that this kind of skepticism doesn't just exist outside the church. It's a skepticism that exists within it. So as you sit here this morning, even as you've been thinking about Christmas, is it possible that you're sitting here this morning and you believe that God is no longer in a position to speak into your life anymore? Even if you're a leader, even if you're an elder, is it possible that you've been praying for something, seeking for something, or asking for something that in your heart God's not going to ever give. It's something that you can't possibly receive. That's what happens to Zechariah. And when he is finished, and he comes out from the curtained area, out into the crowd, it's not that he has nothing to say. It's that by shutting out God, he finds himself incapable of saying anything at all. So where are you with God, even if you're a believer? Now Mary is in a different boat altogether. She is not praying for a child as a virgin. I don't know of very many women that are praying for, child, for a child while they're a virgin. So when an angel appears to her, She's not like sitting there going, oh, this must be the book of Luke, virgin birth part. I mean, that's not exactly how this happens. So when she, he says, congratulations, you're going to have a child, she has an objection, and it is this. Look, I'm a virgin, and I have not known a man. Now this phrase, to know a man, you see it in Scripture in a few different places. It's more than just, hey, how you doing, exchanging business cards, let's go to lunch. I mean, it's a lot more than that. You see it in Genesis. Uh, Adam knew Eve, and they had a child. It's more intimate. Um, if you guys have any questions about this, Lowell Fink is sitting right over here. Um, after the service, feel free to talk to him about it. I have to leave immediately after this, so don't ask me about it. But, but one thing I think is also important for you guys to understand is one misconception or one thing that seems to be very popular today is to have this attitude that, yes, these people lived 2,000 years ago, therefore they are much more primitive people. Therefore they are more basic, more simplistic, 
and therefore they are somehow more willing to believe in things like angels or seeing angels. If you listen to the word here, Zechariah and Mary have conversations with angels and they still can't believe what's going on. And Mary has a valid, reasonable objection, and it is this. Look, I know biology 101. I know how babies are made. I had a good mother. And I've been a good girl. Therefore, I don't understand how this could be possible. Mary's confusion is not born out of complete skepticism. Mary's confusion is born out of doubt. Look, I don't know how this is even possible. And there's a big difference, like I said, between doubt and complete skepticism. Zachariah's skepticism is precluding the possibility of an answer, which he himself is looking for. Mary's doubt is born out of confusion. Look, I don't know how this can be possible. And she gets an answer. So if you're sitting here this morning and you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have questions about the whole Christmas story, the, the gospel itself, if you have questions about the nature or the character of God, that's fine. Ask your question. Raise your objection. Look what's going on. Look into it. Examine your premise. Mary is not more basic. She is not somehow more gullible than 21st century skeptical human beings. She understands the problem. She understands the logic. And she understands the science perfectly well. She asks her question out of doubt and confusion, not complete skepticism, and she gets an answer. So if you sit here this morning and you have questions, ask them. Talk to someone about it. Don't be scared of doubt. Doubt is a halfway house between faith and unbelief. And if you never ask your question, if you never address that doubt, it's never going to lead you to faith. But it, doubt is not the opposite of, of faith. It is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is complete skepticism. So don't be afraid of doubt. Ask the question. Ask the difficult questions. That's what church is for. One of them. One of the reasons. So now we come to the third and final appearance. The angel appears to the shepherds. And they are terrified. It's interesting how men of the soil or people of the soil who spend their entire lives outdoors, they're used to seeing the stars. They're used to seeing nature and everything else, they're the ones that find it most easy to understand what's going on. Not because they're not educated, but because they understand nature as well as they do. The shepherds know how to read the weather. In fact, Jesus said to the uh, religious leaders, look, you know how to read the sky. You can look up at the sky and see it's going to be wet tomorrow. You can look up at the sky and say it's going to be dry tomorrow. Why can't you understand who I am? Well, these guys, they understand it perfectly well, and they've never seen anything like it. Now, it's true they do have the advantage of numbers. An angel appears, do not be afraid, I got good news for you, the Savior has been born. And then a couple thousand show up and start singing, that may change the odds just a little bit. 
But I would like to argue that the appearance of one angel in your life should be enough for you to meet, rethink things a little bit. A thousand come, they sing, and the shepherds look at one another and they say, let's go. The wonderful news about Christmas is we are told that the God who exists and the God who has promised to give himself and come meet with us, Emmanuel, God with us, has come to dwell within every human being who will welcome and accept him. And has, he has broken into this world and he has made himself known. The shepherds were very honest in their response. They see and they recognize divine intervention. They recognize divine revelation. They hear a divine message. A savior has been born who will rescue you and bring you great joy and that's enough. And they go off to see this. And when they get there and they see the child, they recognize him immediately and their response is worship. Um, So, I guess my challenge this morning as we are approaching this new year is to see where you guys stand. Take some time and see where you stand with God right now. I think it's entirely likely that there's a lot of us that could fall into all three categories. We have a little bit of Zacharias in us, a little bit of Mary, where we might have some questions, but I'm quite certain a huge majority of us do have faith in this message. So see where you stand. And then, again, with the issues, examine your premise and spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in the Word. Seek out other things. One of the reasons we do we push small groups like we do is not so we can sit around and just talk. One of the reasons we have youth groups, same thing, is so that these questions that you may have, these doubts that you may struggle with can be addressed. Because I guarantee you, you're probably dealing with something and someone else is dealing with something just very similar or has dealt with it in this room or in this congregation. And that's one of the reasons we do what we do with a with, uh, small group. So, that's my challenge to you this morning. And uh, as you go into the new year, the only thing else I can say is just to feed your faith so you can starve your doubts to death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time of worship where we could sing, where we could lift our hearts to you. And Lord, um, as the year comes to the end, Lord, for some of us, this has been a year that we are happy to put in our rearview mirror. For some, it's been pretty good. Lord, um, take us where we are. Give us the wisdom to spend some time with you, to see where our hearts are with you, and to move forward into the new year with a new commitment and uh, with a heart that's not afraid to ask questions. Because if you are the truth, then there's nothing that's going to uh, there's nothing that's going to scare us about that. So, Heavenly Father, be with us 
and may we step out of this church refreshed, convicted, and ready to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.